Others ask for the reading. I invite you to turn there to 1 Kings, 2 Kings, chapter 6. Don't know for sure what was the subject in your Sunday school class this morning, but in the adult classes, we were at a time when Samuel had gathered all of the children of Israel together in a, in a huge place, and there were hundreds of thousands of people, with maybe not over millions of people that were gathered there, and he was sacrificing for them, he was praying for them, and he was in the middle of that sacrifice, and they looked off, and there was this horde of the Philistine armies coming across the valley. And the battle was the Lord's. And he smote them and confused them and discomfited them. And whatever that meant, they were defeated. And God did it. Is God real and alive today? Is the Holy Spirit real and powerful and active and involved in your life today? Yesterday afternoon, a text message came through. Brother Clem was asking for help. He was discomfited in some health manner. He had the responsibility to preach this morning. He didn't know what to do. And he asked if anyone else would be ready. And there was silence on the text line for a little while. And I felt convicted of the message of the Lord was suddenly laid upon me and there was an outline of a message that poured into my heart and I texted back to him and said, I'm willing to help if you, if you still need help. And he called me. He said, I'm still not sure. And I said, well, <clears throat> I'll prepare and you relax and you let me know by tomorrow morning if you want me to preach. Is the Holy Spirit still working in the battles in our lives. Our brother had told us that he was working on a message that dealt with spiritual warfare, and he felt like this was an attack of Satan that was upon him. And I know those things are real. So last night he called me and said he was preparing to preach this morning. He asked me to open. He asked me to read this passage, and I said, well, that's interesting, because that's one of the exact passages that the Lord had put into my outline. So let's read part of 2 Kings chapter 6. It's about Elisha and about Gehazi, his servant. And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold, now the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make us a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And, and he answered, I'll, I'll go. So he went with them. And when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. And as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place. And he cut down a stick and cast it in thither. And the iron did swim. Therefore said he, Take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and took it. Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God 
sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place where the man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there not once nor twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this saying, and he called his servants and said unto them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God, get that clearly in your mind, verse 15, and when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots, and his servants said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? So the servant got up early that morning and he went outside and looked in the early light and the entire place where they were was compassed with a great host and with horses and chariots and it was obviously an army and it wasn't Israel. It was Syria. And that's where we find ourselves a lot of times, you and I. We are so involved with the things that we can see and sense and live in the circumstances and the experiences that we are in and it sometimes it scares us to death. Or we're overcome by an illness or some other circumstance. And it's that, <clears throat> that reality that we are experiencing that is so overwhelming But God wants us to know that circumstances are just circumstances. God is in charge. This is what happens to Gehazi. Gehazi sees this thing. He comes back to the master in verse 15. And then 16 he says, but he, and he answered, meaning Elisha answers to Gehazi. Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And when they came down to him, meaning the Assyrians came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. And Elisha said unto them, This is not the way, neither is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. It came to pass, when they were coming to Samaria, that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw. And behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And the king of Israel said unto Elisha, When he saw them, My father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? And he answered, Thou shalt not smite them. 
Wouldst thou smite the, those whom thou hast taken captive with thy sword and with thy bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. And he prepared great provision for them, and when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away. And they went to their master. So the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. So interesting in that moment, when Elisha prayed that Gehazi would be able to see, and he was able to see, then he turned around and blinded the army of, of Syria and took them into the places that they didn't want to be and opened their eyes and they realized they were captive. <clears throat> so it seems to be a great issue of being able to see through the circumstances to know that God is in control, God is in, in, in charge. We may go through painful things, but we can trust God through all those things. What prayer requests or testimony or praise report you might share with us today as we go to prayer? Yes. I'd like to ask for prayer for my sister in law Joyce and experience with her life spirit. Prayer for uh, Joyce Heisey, be Karen's sister in law is experiencing some stroke symptoms and is in the hospital in Columbus. Let's consider her in our prayers. <clears throat> Brother Cody, I'm gonna ask you to pray here in just a moment. Other things that you might want to share. Yes. I do have a cousin's wife, Dawn. She, she's about my age, I went to school with her. She's, um, she had cancer that has now went to her brain and they're doing whole head radiation. Let's keep in prayer Arlene's cousin, Don, who's experiencing the difficulties of a form of cancer. I'm sure there are other, other things as well. So, Brother Cody, would you lead us in prayer before the Lord?
And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought 
and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan. He was cast down to the earth and his angels were cast down with him. You know. We know that we live in a spiritual world. Back sometime after creation, there was a war in heaven. Satan was cast into the earth. Jesus described it like this when speaking with his disciples in in, uh, Luke 10, I believe. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. From heaven, Satan was cast out and his angels with him. We've heard this and we know that it's true as we consider the spiritual forces in life. But So often we seem to forget and we find ourselves fighting against each other. And we find our enemies to be flesh and blood. And we find that we fight the wrong enemy. I ask you this morning, is your life a playground or a battleground? A playground sounds pretty nice, doesn't it? I mean, if life was all about riding the rides and sliding the slides and swinging on swings, it'd be all right. But the truth of the matter is, this life that we live is a battleground. Our kingdom is not of this world. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, then would my people fight when he was faced with being taken, being arrested, and telling his disciples not to resist. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9 speaks of this adversary. It says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. That dragon, that serpent, that adversary, the devil, Satan. He's got many names throughout the Scripture. It doesn't matter which one you want to use. He is the enemy. He is 
actually our only enemy. The Bible says that we can resist him. The Bible says that as a child of God, that we are given everything that we need to live godly in Christ Jesus, that we are given everything we need to overcome anything he will throw at us. Now I picture in my head a playground in Mariupol, Ukraine. And you try to picture, obviously, a scene that's not happening today, but children playing on a playground there with the bullets flying by their heads, the bombs falling all around, and they're oblivious. They're riding the rides and sliding the slides. And we would look at that and we would say, what's wrong with them? Don't they know the danger that they're in? And then I think of my life here in America and I think of the things that take my time and my attention and I think of the things that I give myself to and the pleasures that I indulge in and I wonder what's wrong with me? Can't I see the danger that I'm in? We need to wake up, people. There's a study done. It was, there was uh, people were suffering from insomnia and they would go to their doctor and they told their doctor that they hadn't slept for days or even weeks and the doctors knew that that wasn't possible. And so they, they did some research and they put them on monitors and, and what they found is that these people were actually sleeping. They were actually in a, a light sleep but they were dreaming that they were awake. And I wonder if that's possible in a physical sense. Is that possible in a spiritual sense? Is it possible for us to think that we're awake when we're asleep? Ephesians says, wake up, O sleeper. Corinthians says, awake to righteousness and sin not. Our text this morning is from Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll go through several of these verses, but Ephesians 6, 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. First Corinthians 10 speaks similarly. Verses 3 through 5, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. This is how we fight. So many times I find myself thinking ill of an individual. 
thinking that someone has hurt me and that they're to blame. And we heard an excellent opening, Sunday school opening. Several of you weren't here on forgiveness this morning. And I, I feel that it ties right in. I heard it expressed. This was a wife asking for prayer for her, for her husband that had left her. And she said, he's not the enemy. He's the victim of the enemy. And if we can see each other that way, the people that hurt us in life are not our enemy. They have fallen victim to the enemy. And all we can do is we can forgive, we can pray, we do what we can do, but to fight back against flesh and blood, it never works. It never works. Never works. Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And I think about those children on the playground in that picture in Ukraine and perhaps the parents that are there with them. They're so busy playing. And they're in danger. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Why are we still playing? Can we see the danger that we're in? Am I pleasing the one who has enlisted me as a soldier? Am I pleasing Christ? I don't know, maybe it's a bad analogy to compare the Russian soldiers today with with our Christian walk, but if you think about them as they have invaded Ukraine, do you think that those soldiers have been going out to dinner? Do you think that they've been going to the theaters and going to the ball games? Do you think that they've been getting to know the Ukrainian people? They've not become entangled in the affairs of Ukraine. They have a singular mission and focus. It's to please the one who has enlisted them. And while that feels so wrong to us, we must have a singular focus. And in the same way, be serious about this battle that we are facing. Knowing that our enemy if we become entangled with, if we begin to converse with the enemy, if we become, begin to get to know the enemy and get to hear his side, we're in a dangerous place. A dangerous place. We must endure hardship and do whatever it takes 
Fathers, this enemy is trying to invade our homes. This enemy is trying to invade the hearts of our children. This enemy is trying to invade this congregation. We must endure hardship and do whatever it takes. In this fight, throwing punches doesn't help. Slandering people doesn't help. Bullets and missiles will never help. So what are our weapons? What do we use and how do we fight? Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18, give us the armor that we are called to use, that we are called to wear. And I know that you've heard them before. I know that you know them perhaps. But I want us to take them up and to use them in every conflict that we face this week. Instead of using a cold shoulder, Instead of using hurtful words, instead of using my position or my knowledge, that we use this armor that God gives us every single time, recognizing who the enemy is. This army armor is so much more effective than fleshly emotions and attitudes that so often arise and are acted upon when we face the onslaughts, the attacks, the darts. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6 here. We're just going to read through these verses beginning in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. That is where our strength comes from. It's, it's through His power and it's through His might, and our flesh will never be enough. We can never train our flesh to fight this battle. It will never happen. We must die to our flesh, and we must walk in the Spirit, and we must fight our battles in the Spirit. The power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. He doesn't say, pick out a piece. He says, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He wants us to use it all. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you again the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Truth is the first thing that he tells us to put on. I believe that truth is so powerful. I believe it's, there's a reason why it's the first thing. If you don't start with truth, you might as well not start at all. Whether it's 
God's truth or simply honesty and telling the truth. John says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The psalm says that God desires truth in the inward parts. There is nothing more freeing than exposing lies. And to be able to look people in the eye with nothing to hide, to be able to look your spouse in the eye and not have anything to hide, to be able to look your brother or your sister in the eye and have nothing to hide, your parents, whoever it is, can you do that? Are you living with this girdle of truth in your life? It's a powerful thing, and it brings so much freedom. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Are you prepared to share the gospel? Do you know how to share the gospel? Do you have your shoes on? Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Above all, he says here. Makes this one sound pretty important. I believe that it is. Faith in Jesus Christ, faith in His finished work and His victory over sin. It's the shield of faith that we can hold up You know, all of these other things, they leave our back exposed. Perhaps there's part of us that can be exposed, but this shield can be moved where it's needed. This shield quenches the fiery darts of the wicked one, it says. And those darts come at us. And if we have a faith in Jesus Christ that we hold up, and as those attacks come, and those questions come, and those temptations come, and we hold up that shield of faith, I believe in Jesus Christ. And I believe that He's greater. And we hold that up and it takes those, those darts for us. And you know, you experience those darts, don't you? Children, what could some of those darts be in your life? I think about some of you younger children Maybe you get upset at your siblings because they took something of yours or they broke something of yours or they hurt you and it it causes you to get frustrated and maybe you hit them or maybe you holler at them or you act out in some way to get them back. And I would suggest to you this morning that 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 was a fiery dart from Satan that came to you. And that was was him. He wants to drive a wedge in, in all of our relationships. And he wants to see us hurt each other. And those are opportunities. If we can this week, if you can recognize that Satan's going to throw those darts at you. And he wants you to fight with your siblings. And he wants you to disobey your parents. And He wants you to tell that lie. Those are His 
darts that he sends to us. And if you can recognize that, and if you can remember that this is from him, and in that moment, know that, and, and when they're coming, you hold up that shield of faith. I believe that Jesus is able to give me deliverance from this. I don't have to act out on this temptation. It might be something else. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's the vast array of temptations, fleshly lusts that come at us. And we heard here Thursday night that the battle is won or lost at the point of temptation. I've got to keep going. A simple faith can be a powerful thing. The Bible says, faith the size of a mustard seed. Children, don't think that you can't lift up this shield of faith. None of us should think that we can't lift up this shield of faith. And then he goes on and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You know, salvation, it protects our head there, the helmet of salvation, perhaps our most vital area. The sword of the Spirit seems to me to be something on the offensive. And I think that there is a sense in which we are called to be on the offensive as the church of Jesus Christ. We're not to be huddled and on the defensive all the time. We're to go out into the world. And, and Jesus says, Upon this rock I built my house and the gates, my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And the wording there could lead me to understand that, that we're not to huddle down inside the church just as protection, but that we're to go out into the world to deliver people, souls from hell, from bondage who are enslaved. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. We're to go out with the preparation of the gospel of peace and liberate those who are enslaved. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Prayer is is so powerful. And I can testify, and I think that probably most of us have seen the power of prayer. But so often we use it when there's a deadline. It's really easy for me to pray before a sermon. And I've saw the power of it over and over and over again. It's really easy for me to pray when there's a serious health issue that arises. But but it's really easy for me to put off praying maybe for you, for my children, for other difficult things in life that seem like, well, maybe we can do that next week. And so 
I find myself not taking this weapon of prayer that we are given seriously enough. Prayer is a powerful thing. Perhaps it's our greatest weapon as we seek to liberate souls for Christ. There's only so much that we can do to help someone. We can lead them. We can show them truth. We can lead them to Jesus. We can pray. And that can be a powerful part. Because there's really, you can't make someone believe. You can't make someone forgive. You can't make someone change. David read to us that uh, account in 2 Kings, and it's just such a powerful picture. I won't spend the time on it. He did well explaining the situation, but I believe that just as that servant was able to see those chariots of fire around him, I believe that that is something that is always available to the child of God. God's army is waiting. It's there any time we need it. I believe many times we forget about it. We find ourselves just like that servant. But can we be Elisha's? And can we know and trust that God is there? That He has got us surrounded? And you know, it was like we heard in our our Sunday school, just because God's there and He wins these battles doesn't mean that there's, that there's not still things for us to do. Stuff that needs cleaned up. And, and you know, as you read, read through that, um, Elijah still went forward and he prayed and he led those men and, and there was something for him to do there. And so it is for us. Even as God gives us the victory, He... he Ask, we, we are called to continue to fight and to do our part in these battles. Psalms 91, 11, through 11 and 12 says, For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in thy, their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Child of God, there is an army backing you up. It's an army greater than that of the dragon and of his angels. They've been defeated once by Mark, Michael and his angels. They were defeated at the cross by Jesus. And we have that power of Jesus Christ and of the spiritual realm. It's on our side if we will Ah, speaking of, of angels in Hebrews 1.14, it says, And they are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? They're on our side. They're working for us. Recognize the strength that you have at your disposal. How many times have you cried out for a brother or sister who was living in fear? God, open their eyes that they could see. Like Elisha did. Someone who's living in defeat. 
Someone who doesn't believe there's, there was a way, there's a way through. Elisha had the shield of faith raised high that day. Sometimes we can know it, but things still feel impossible. I had a really hard week this week. I'm not going to give you the details, but there were there was loss, there was rejection, there was sickness, there was pain, there was there was the list could go on. And consequences of sin. Sometimes we just don't feel it, but if you can believe, and if you can cry out to God, there's times when we quit crying out to God. Don't stop. Maybe you've cried out for a while, and it just feels like He doesn't hear. Don't stop. Keep saying the same thing over and over. You don't have to have a special prayer. You don't have to have flowery words. You don't have to say the right things. You've got to ask Him for help. He says that when you ask, I'm not getting the verse. When you seek, you'll find. When you ask, you'll receive. It's not coming to me. He wants us to ask. I'm committed today to wearing the whole armor of God and fighting to the very end for freedom for those enslaved in sin. Will you join me? As I close this morning, I want to read a parable. It's called the parable of the prince and the dragon. There was once a great and noble king whose land was terrorized by a crafty dragon. Like a massive bird of prey, the scaly beast delighted in ravaging villages with his fiery breath. Hapless victims ran from their burning homes only to be snatched into the dragon's jaws or talons. Those devoured instantly were deemed more fortunate than those carried back to the dragon's lair to be devoured at his leisure. The king led his sons and knights in many valiant battles against the dragon. Riding alone in the forest, one of the king's sons heard his name purred low and soft. In the shadows of the ferns and trees curled among the boulders lay the dragon. This creature's heavy-lidded eyes fastened on the prince and the reptilian mouth stretched into a friendly smile. Don't be alarmed, said the dragon, as gray wisps of smoke rose lazily from his nostrils. I am not what your father thinks. What are you then, asked the prince, warily drawing his sword as he pulled in the reins to keep his fearful horse from bolting. I am pleasure, said the dragon. Ride on my back and you will experience more than you ever imagined. Come now. I have no harmful intentions. I seek a friend, someone to share flights with me. Have you never dreamed of flying? Never longed to soar in the clouds? 
Visions of soaring high above the forested hills drew the prince hesitantly from his horse. The dragon unfurled one great webbed wing to serve as a ramp to his rigid back. Between the spiny projections, the prince found a secure seat. Then the creature snapped his powerful wings twice and launched them into the sky. The prince's apprehension melted into awe and exhilaration. From then on, he met the dragon often, but secretly, for how could he tell his father or brothers or the knights that he had befriended the enemy? The prince began to feel separate from them all. Their concerns were no longer his concerns. Even when he wasn't with the dragon, he spent less time with those he loved and more time alone. The skin on the prince's legs become calloused from gripping the rigid back of the dragon and his hands grew rough and hardened. He began wearing gloves to hide the malady. After many nights of writing, he discovered scales growing on the backs of his hands as well. With dread, he realized his fate were he to continue. So he resolved no more to return to the dragon. But after a fortnight, he again sought out the dragon. Having been tormented with desire, and so it transpired many times over, no matter what his determination, the prince eventually found himself pulled back, as if by the cords of an invisible web. Silently, patiently, the dragon always waited. One cold, moonless night, their excursions became a foray against the sleeping village. Torching the thatched roofs with fiery blasts from his nostrils, the dragon roared with delight when the terrified victims fled from their burning homes. Swooping in, the serpent belched again in flames engulfed a cluster of screaming villagers. The prince closed his eyes tightly in an attempt to shut out the carnage. In the pre-dawn hours when the prince crept back from his dragon trysts, the road outside his father's castle usually remained empty, but not tonight. Terrified refugees streamed into the protective walls of the castle. The prince attempted to slip through the crowd to close himself in his chambers, but some of the survivors stared and pointed at him. He was there, one woman cried out. I saw him on the back of the dragon. Others nodded their heads in angry agreement. Horrified, the prince saw that his father... The king was in the courtyard holding a bleeding child in his arms. The king's face mirrored the agony of his people as his eyes found the princess. The son fled, hoping to escape into the night, but the guards apprehended him as if he were a common thief. They brought him to the great hall where his father sat solemnly on the throne. The people on every side railed against the prince. Banish him, he heard one of his own brothers angrily cry out. Burn him alive, other voices shouted. As the king rose from his throne, bloodstains from the wounded shone darkly on his royal robes. The crowd fell silent in expectation of his decree. The prince, who could not bear to look into his father's face, stared at the flagstones of the floor. Take off your gloves and your tunic the king commanded. The prince obeyed slowly, dreading to have his metamorphosis uncovered before the kingdom. Was his shame not enough already? 
He had hoped for a quick death without further humiliation. Sounds of revulsion rippled through the crowd at the sight of the prince's thick, scaled skin and the ridge growing along his spine. The king strode toward his son. The prince steeled himself, fully expecting a backhanded blow, even though he had never been struck so by his father. Instead, the father embraced him and wept as he held him tightly. In shocked disbelief, the prince buried his face against his father's shoulder. Do you wish to be freed from the dragon, my son? The prince answered in despair. I wished it many times, but there is no hope for me. Not alone, said the king. You cannot win against the dragon alone. Father, I'm no longer your son. I'm half beast, sobbed the prince. But the father replied, my blood runs in your veins. My nobility has always been stamped deep within your soul. With his face still hidden tearfully in his father's embrace, the prince heard the king and struck the crowd. The dragon is crafty. Some fall victim to his wiles and some to his violence. There will be mercy on all who wish to be freed. Who else among you has ridden the dragon? The prince lifted his head to see someone emerge from the crowd to his amazement. He recognized an older brother, one who had been lauded throughout the kingdom for his onslaughts against the dragon in the battle and for many good deeds. Others came, some weeping, others hanging their heads in shame. The king embraced them all. This is our most powerful weapon against the dragon, he announced. Truth. No more hidden flights. Together, we can defeat him. Do you wish to be freed from the dragon? Maybe you have responded the same way as that son. I've wished it many times, but there's no hope for me. To which our king replies, not alone. You cannot win against the dragon alone. I don't know the ways that you have ridden the dragon. For some of you, it's fear. For some of you, it's immorality. For some of you, it's substance abuse. For some of you, it's anger. For some of you, it's pride. And the list goes on. The longer you ride the dragon, the worse it gets, and people get hurt. Jesus says to you today, there will be mercy for all who wish to be freed. Who has ridden the dragon? Do you see what freedom requires? Truth, confession, and repentance. We must be honest about ourselves, 
about our sin. And we must repent. Jesus wants to embrace us. Truth is our most powerful weapon. No more hidden flights. Alone, we cannot resist Him. I just want to leave you this morning with a couple verses. That you can know that you have at your disposal all you need. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son in whom we have redemption. Through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Romans 8, 37-39, Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus loves you. He wants to forgive you. Will you let him? Together, we must fight in this battlefield of life. You don't have to fear the dragon, but you must be aware of him. We must be awake. I guess we'll go to prayer now. Bow your heads. Oh, Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for giving us that same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, you say, can be ours as we fight against the dragon. Lord, I just pray that today's message would call every heart to be awake to be alert that this week we would recognize who the true enemy is and that we would fight our battles against him and not against flesh and blood, not against our brothers and sisters, not against our siblings, not against our spouses, Lord. Help us to fight with the armor that you have given us, Lord, to take up the whole armor this week. To begin with truth. And Lord, to hold the shield of faith high. That we could quench the fiery darts. Lord, thank you for your promises. Thank you for your word. Lord, wake us up. Lord, give us strength in battle and help us to see the chariots of fire surrounding us this week. And Lord, when the way seems impossible. I pray that you would, Lord, give us, give us a sign and show us your way. Speak to us, Lord. Those who are in, a, in difficult places even today that can't see a way out, Lord, I pray that you would give them comfort and that you would give them strength in their spirit to know that you are there with them, Lord. I just pray that this week, we would live in truth. Thank you for each person who is here. I pray that we would go out with the preparation of the gospel of peace on our feet, that we would go forth and we would share the good news, that we would live 
a life of victory and have a testimony of the power of Jesus Christ and him crucified. We ask this in his name. Amen.